Whenever I bring a guy on the show Women of Impact, it always has to benefit you ladies. It has to make sure that whatever message they have, whatever lesson they're here to teach us, that it really does benefit us as women because there are so many different things that I have been through um, in comparison to you know other guys in my life. And I know so many women that have. And so today's guest, my homie, the guy that I call my brother from another mother, Mr. Jay Shetty himself is in the house. Now guys, if you don't know who Jay Shetty is, then I'm going to be guessing that you've lived under a rock probably for the last couple of years. But just in case you don't know who he is, he's a life coach, author, he used to be a monk, and he took all those lessons that he learned from being a monk to actually help millions and millions of people around the world. And right now he's got a new book, and it's all about love and dating. So you better freaking believe that we jump right in onto the three date rule that he has that was fascinating to me that you guys can actually implement if you're single and looking to date. We also talk about the easy ways to determine what your partner really values, not what you think they value, but how to actually know and understand what they value. And then we also dive into the three relationship roles that everyone plays in a relationship. Now, the question is, which one are you? When you determine and actually get which one you are and which one your partner is, it will save you guys so much like hassle and arguments and um, terrible fights once you understand what role you play. And so today, my guy, Jay Shetty, and I go deep on all of this and so much more. He is my North London homie himself, Mr. Jay Shetty on love. I, I met so many people who have been hurt by relationships. They've had bad breakups, they've dated the wrong person, they've struggled with connection, maybe they've been abused, whatever it may be. And one question I'd always ask people is, what did you attract them with? What did you use to get that person? What did you show of yourself? What did you display? What was your best behavior? And what I've discovered is that when your relationship starts like an interview, chances are it might end like a firing. Because we start with our best behavior. We start with our best performance. We start with oh, look how attractive I am, look how wealthy I am. So if we're using things like money to impress someone, what do you think you're attracting? You're attracting someone who's with you because of that particular asset. Now, if that asset ever diminishes, if that asset is never accessible to them, if that asset is not something that they get to take part in, now all of a sudden they're not interested. Mm -hmm. If someone's only with you because of how you look, because that's what you displayed. So you have to ask yourself, am I displaying what I want someone to be attracted to, or am I trying so hard just to attract them that I'll show them whatever they wanna see? And so to me, when I think about it, I want someone to be attracted to my values. I want someone to be attracted to my purpose. I want someone to be attracted to who I actually am, not who they want me to be or who I could be. So when I met Radhi and when I'm working with clients, I always say to them, be so transparent and honest about where you currently are. Because then if you don't attract that person, you're safe. Mm -hmm. Because if you attract them through something you're not, you're gonna lose them through who you are. Oh God, that was so fire, dude. So how on earth and in those moments, right? Because 
when you're going on a date, when you're first meeting someone, you do want to put your best foot forward. Yeah. It's like, to be honest, if you went on a date and the woman showed up in her PJs, <laughs> right, even though we all love Raddy, maybe she on that do, first she, date. She would, did it on like the third date. There you go, yeah. right? So like, even on that first date, you're never going to see the true person because you do want to see their best, what they have. Yeah. But I totally understand on your point of that you can be setting yourself up and your relationship up for disaster if you do that. So talk to me now about your amazing skill of doing the three date rule because I love this because as we start to talk about who you decide to spend the rest of your life with these early days these early moments really do make a difference about whether you choose the right person that shares the same values as you or not. yes yeah and, and I love that you made that distinction because I think in the beginning the challenge is we don't even want to be with that person we just want to impress them so I think that's what I'm trying to get at is that nuance of like, are you dressing up because you're presenting your best version or are you actually doing all these things just to impress that person so they think you're awesome? <laughs> because if that's the reason, then you're showing them a very limited view of who you are. So my three date rule is something I'm gonna clarify as a disclaimer. You do not have to make these your first three dates right. and you don't have to make these three dates have to go in order. While you're dating someone, these are three dates that can be dotted across any dating time period. So you could do one of these dates a month if you're seeing someone every week. Right. You could do one of these dates every three months if you're seeing someone for a year. You don't have to do them immediately. The other thing I'm going to add before I dive into this is I read this incredible study that shows that it takes around 40 hours to get to know someone casually. 40 hours, Lisa. It takes around 100 hours to get to know someone as a friend, to really call someone a friend. And if someone's a good friend, studies show it takes 200 hours. Now, the reason why I created the three-date rule is because too many people are falling in love too quickly. People say, I love you so quickly. Some men are saying it within one to three months, and some women are saying it within like three to six months. It's a fast process. Most of us have not spent 200 hours with each other. And just to pause there, yeah. men say it quicker and more often than women Absolutely. based on your stats. Okay, Absolutely, so sure yeah. Men say, right. yeah, men say it quicker and more often to more people, Ah, right? And so there's a speed there. And I've, I've thought about that. Like someone's asked me like, you know, why is that? I mean, it could be many things. It could be that, you know, we've been told that it's the secret key. You know, like a lot of men have been told that, oh, when you say I love you to a woman, that opens yeah. up everything, like you get access to everything. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe a part of it is that men don't know how to differentiate between lust and love, mm -hmm. like and love. I know men who come to me and they'll find someone new attractive every month. It's normal as a man to, to have that, but you don't know how to differentiate between lust and love or like and love. And so you say love more often. So sometimes it's a vocabulary understanding. Um, but anyway, going back to the three date rule. The first date has to be about, do I like this person's personality? Do I get along with them? Do I like their company? Most of our time in a date is spent thinking, do they like me? <laughs> right? That's mm -hmm. what we're thinking. Do they like me? Are they impressed by me? Do they think I look good? Do they think that I'm a good person? So but we're not really thinking like, do I like spending time with the person? Do I really engage with them? Do I really connect with them? Do I feel this person has like great morals and great, great sense of company. Are they funny? Are they interesting? And I think for a long time, we've overestimated the spark. And I want to talk about this because I'm not saying there should be no spark. I think the problem is when relationships are built on sparks, not skills. 
And I think what you're really looking for is, is there a spark and skills, or am I only seeing spark and no skills? And the problem is when we see a spark, we assume that the person has the skills. And when you say the skills, you mean? I mean, like when we get to skills, I'm talking like, does this person know how to communicate with you? Does this person know how to listen to you? Does this person know how to make you feel seen and heard? Does this person want to develop skills with you Mm. of fighting better, disagreeing better, debating better? Are they wanting to grow them even if they don't have them? And what I find is that when we find the spark with someone, when we feel chemistry with someone, we assume that they're organized, good people who will treat us well, right? We've all done that. You find someone attractive and you find someone articulate and you think they must be amazing at everything. And you just assume that. You never ask, you never check. So that's date one. Do you like their company? And the way the test is, do I want to spend 200 hours getting to know this person? It's a great test, 200 hours, because that's what a long-term relationship is going to need. Second date. Do I respect their values? This one's really big because I find that we don't often really understand our partner's values till much later. Mm -hmm. We don't really know what they care about or we're hoping we care about the same things. I think you and Tom can relate to this and me and Radhi can too. I don't think we prioritize the same things in the same way. Right. I think we have different values. And I think a lot of people live in this social media world of like, find someone who has the same values. Like, find some, And I'm like, well, that may take your whole life. You may never find the person who has the same values. So in second date, you're trying to understand their values. What do they care about most? What's their biggest priority? You can tell some of this by what people talk about. If someone's always talking about their business, it's obvious what they care about the most. That doesn't make them a bad person or a good person. They're showing you. If someone's always talking about their mom and their dad and their family, it's obvious that their family is their heart and soul. You're one of those people. (laughs) You're always talking about your family and it's beautiful. And then you meet someone who's always talking about money. They're always talking about real estate. They're always talking about, they're showing you what they care about. And we don't often take that note. We take it a different way. So the way I look at this is I often ask clients, to make a list of their top three priorities in their life, including themselves. And most often what I'll find is someone will say, you, i.e. my partner, the kids, and then me. And that's common. The one that's a bit more rare is where the person says me, as in myself at the top, you, and then the kids. And the common reaction is, how can you put the kids third? (laughs) Like, how did you put the kids third? And the person's going, well, no, I had to put me first because if I'm strong and I'm steady, then I'll give more to you. The reason I bring that prioritization up is, what are your partner's top values? So for Radhi, my wife, her top value is family. We know that, right? You know Radhi well. She loves her family. She adores her family. Any conversation is about her family. Any gift is about her family. Everything's about her family. And then me, mine's my purpose and my service. If you talk to me, I'm thinking about how to serve the world. I'm thinking about how to make an impact. I'm thinking about how do I get these tools accessible to anyone and everyone? Like, how do we really cascade these uh, teachings across the world? Very different values. But we discovered that very early on. And we had really open, honest conversations about how, Radhi, if it came down to it, I would choose my purpose over a family event. And Radhi said to me, if it came down to it, I'd choose my family event over going to something with you. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. All I'm saying is that that awareness and that conversation saves you 
from years of guilt tripping the other person. Oh, you never come with me to my events, Radhi. You're always with your family. Oh, you never ever like show up for me when I'm traveling because you're traveling with your family. We don't have that conversation because I'm really aware of her values. So that's date two. And date three is, am I committed to helping them achieve their goals? Do I want to see this person? Am I ready to go to any extreme, any level to see this person become the best version of themselves that they want to be? Am I willing to be there with them, holding their hand, helping them get there? If we're going to climb a mountain and they're climbing a different mountain, I'm going to help them climb theirs. Mm. And I find that most of us don't even know what our partner's greatest goals are. Most of us don't even know what their dreams are. Most, most people don't even know what their own dreams are, let alone their partners. Totally, exactly, exactly. So those are the three dates. They don't have to be your first three dates. They don't have to be your, all your dates in a row. They just have to be dates that have to happen during the dating journey. I love all of that, the way you lay it out. And I'm such a like, I have like these two parts of me, the emotional and then the very logistic. Yeah. So when you tell me like, okay, 200 hours, I need those kind of yeah. um, buffers, if you will, because I, I can get in my head and go, after four hours, oh my God, I'm not <laughs> I'm my eye. Like I actually remember on my first date with Tom going, oh my God, is this the one, right? Like, because I'd never met a guy like him before. Yeah. But if I'd had the rule of, okay, these are the dates, these are the amount of hours, these are the things you need to do on these dates to kind of really assess whether they're right for you is so beautiful because it allows me now to also listen to my head as well as my heart like because these yeah. those two can often be in conflict with each other yeah well uh, that's where the spark takes over mm-hmm. the chemistry is so strong and i looked at the science of this that when you are attracted to someone or when you meet someone and it's exciting you're feeling excitement but you're also feeling stress mm-hmm. because the excitement is their heart the stress is do they think i am right the excitement is oh my god they're coming over here the stress is, are they going to talk to me? The excitement is, they gave me their phone number. The stress is, what do I text them? <laughs> so you're feeling this excitement and stress. And that's what makes it so fresh and new. Mm. And in that excitement and stress, you can make some bad decisions. We've all been there where you've made poor decisions because you're so intoxicated by someone or you feel so attracted to someone that you can make an unhealthy choice. Now, what happens is as you spend more time with that same person, your stress decreases because you're comfortable with them. So when we say the spark went away, it didn't. The stress went away because now being with them actually calms you down. Like it actually gives you a sense of comfort. And so when we think the spark's everything, it's not because the spark was just stress. But I think that that is where some people get confused, right? Where they're like, oh my God, the love is gone. Like, oh no, you know, and then you have like the honeymoon phase where then people leave. So during this first dating phase, once you started to do these things, establish like, okay, are they right for me? I want to touch on something you dropped in earlier of the definition of love. Mm. Because as you start to date, as you start to get with someone, start to know them more and more, I loved how you said it's like you have to understand what the word love, not even what the emotion of love means, but what the word love itself means. And then also understand what your partner's interpretation of it. Explain that to me and then how we start to navigate that, because as we start to peel apart, some of these things are awkward are uncomfortable to have a discussion with. (laughs) I'm like, so how do you feel about love? Right. It's like, how do we start to like actually then have those discussions and I was gonna say like even with these dates you're not sitting down with someone going what are your values (laughs) like you know like that's not (laughs) number one yeah number one (laughs) you know here's a list of values can you circle which ones are yours like it's not like saying oh what are your goals like it's it's not that kind of a conversation like what I'm saying is you learn about someone's values by what they spend their time on 
what they spend their energy on and what they spend their money on. That's what they value. If you really want to know what someone values, look at their schedule. That will tell you what they value. If you look at Radhi's schedule, she calls her mum eight times a day. You look at my schedule, it is decked out in meetings, commitments, <laughs> yeah. interviews, podcasts, whatever else it may be. That shows you what I value. If you look at what someone spends, who do they spend money on? Where do they spend money? Shows you what they value. So don't ask people these questions. You can observe mm -hmm. it just by being around someone very quickly. You don't have to be as on the nose. Right. And so going into what you were asking about defining love, this was something when I was coaching couples and working with them, I found this to be a huge thing. Some people say, I love you, and it means I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And some people say, I love you, and it means I want to spend a, a night with you. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be that different. It can really be in between those extremes. I want to spend a night with you, or I want to spend a life with you. And the thing is, when someone says, I love you, you assume that their definition is the same as yours. So when you say, I love you back, you think in your head, we just made a contract right. based on my definition of love. Oh, we're going to die together. We're going to die together, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you've committed to me for the rest of eternity, mm. right? Like, that could be your definition. And the thing is, when someone's being romantic and says, I love you, you don't go, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? Like, right. explain. we don't say that. And I'm not telling you to say that. But before you say it, before you feel it, before you exchange it with someone, or even after you do, have a conversation about what does love mean to you? Like, like, what do you mean by that? Like, what is the importance of love in your life? And if someone's not open to those conversations early on in a relationship, that's a sign that those conversations only get more uncomfortable. So if you've been in a relationship and you're struggling to start this conversation with your partner, how do you do it? I just want to address that because I can appreciate that a lot of people didn't have this training up front. They're now in a relationship. Right. They feel like they wanted a relationship to be fun and exciting. And their partner is settled for... We live together, we have a home, we have kids, that's love. What else do we need, right? I think it's really healthy to say, hey, you know what? When we met, when we first connected, we were young. We, did, we didn't know about all these things. We didn't talk about all these things. But I've, I've really been thinking about this. Like, we've built such a beautiful life together. And I want to continue to feel that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way? Now you've not put pressure on them. If you go up to them and go, you don't do what you used to do before, How's that inspiring? If you go up to your partner and say, oh, you're always lazy, or you have more time for the guys than you do for me, or you go up to your partner and say, oh, you know, you're always busy, I thought you were gonna be at home, like, those things don't start healthy conversations, but saying, you know what, we've actually built something pretty cool, how do we get it to the next level if that can engage a partner? If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion 
billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. I I love that. Um, yeah. It not being just one word, it actually being like this in-depth discussion that is continuous because I think that that's where we get tripped up. Sometimes we have an interpretation. Also, we do hear what sometimes we want to hear, right? Like the amount of people I'm just going to say the amount of women I have been met where like, oh, I can change him. Oh, I can change this about him. I can change this. And it becomes the like, you're not actually hearing who they are. And maybe you're just hearing the things you really do like and the things that you aren't attracted to or something that maybe you're, you're dismissing those right now because you so want this relationship. Yeah. And I think that's, we're living in a world of trying to project our version of a perfect partner onto our Mm. partner And we're trying to mold them and curate them and build them up to be this person that we think will make us happy. And what we don't realize is that fake version we have won't make us happy. And us trying to mold them is not going to make them happy. And you actually push someone away. Mm. So I actually feel like if anyone ever feels like someone's trying to change them, you potentially push them away because they feel threatened. They feel scared. They feel Not not good enough. And so you're actually creating a unworthy feeling in your partner by saying you could be this or should be this. And I think we have this, I break it down in the book as being the difference between relationship roles we play. So I talk about how there's three relationship roles that everyone plays and everyone who's listening or watching, you know which one you are. So the first is the fixer. Some of us get our self-worth from fixing other people's problems. We don't fix our own. We're not working on our own, but we feel better when we find a partner that feels like a project. Mm. We feel, oh, I'll teach them and I'll build them up and I'll make them wear nice clothes and I'll make sure he or she gets a nice job or they break through in their career because we get our self-worth through thinking we can fix other people. Mm. It's really warped to that degree, but we play that role. 
And often when we play that role, we tire our partner out because they feel unworthy or we feel upset at ourselves and them because they didn't take our advice. <laughs> so then we end up saying things like, well, I put so much effort into you and you don't want to be better. And we think it's their fault that they haven't grown, but they never showed you they wanted to grow. Mm. So if you're the fixer, I just want you to be really conscious about that role and say, okay, I've tried to fix people, it doesn't work. Let me use that energy to serve myself, to find my own self-worth in a different direction. And now let me approach this relationship differently. The second role we play is the dependent. So the fixer is like a parent, the dependent's like a kid. You walk in and you hope that your partner's just gonna take care of you, they're gonna cradle you, they're gonna embrace you, they're gonna take all your problems away, right? We want a problem solver. We want a fixer. Yeah. And we walk Why? in, we go, fix all my issues, you're in charge, you're the best. A few years later, sometimes it's decades later, that person goes, I lost myself in the relationship. Not realizing that they didn't know who they were in the first place, they let the other person take the lead and now that person's lost. So even when you're the dependent and then you start feeling, why are you always telling me what to do? Oh God, yeah. Right? Because yeah. then he goes, yeah, why are you always telling me what to do? But we set them up to play that role. So let's take the responsibility and become supporters. A supporter says, I'm gonna help you become who you want to be. And you're gonna help me become who I want to be. Because support is not about me projecting my goals onto you. Support is about me helping you get to where you want to go. And that is the healthiest role to play in a relationship. There are going to be times in a relationship where you have to be the fixer, you have to be the dependent. There's a bit of oscillating, but you're both trying to come back to being supporters and being collaborators and being a team rather than staying too long in either of those. I think the other thing is that as fixers, we also think that we have to be the person to fix our partner's problems. We don't realize that sometimes you can introduce them to a book, sometimes you can introduce them to a podcast, sometimes you can introduce them to something else that helps them. And this is the biggest mistake, Lisa, that I hear all the time. People want their partners to have the same healing journey as them. Ooh. And I say this to people all the time. Sometimes someone will say to me, Jay, I'm just trying to convince my partner to read your book and I'm trying to convince <laughs> them to listen to your podcast. And I'm like, please don't do that because you're going to push them away, not just from you, but from their healing. Mm. Find out what they connect to. Find out what's important to them. You know, one of the reasons why I love doing my podcast on purpose is I sit down with so many people and I'm like, there are so many people that I know people will connect to that may not connect to my voice. Sometimes you need to hear an athlete say, I need to meditate. I could have been telling people for years to meditate, but they needed to hear it from their favorite athlete. Or someone needed to hear it from their favorite business person. Or someone needed to hear it from their favorite musician when she or they open up their heart and says, this is what I'm going through. And so please realize that your partner doesn't have to learn from the same voices or the same guides or the same coaches. It's okay for them to have their own path. And if you help them on their path, I promise you, you'll be holding hands a lot quicker. God, that's so true. And it's like, I understand the notion, right? Like we, if we 
are in a relationship and we now find someone that we really do care about, we really do love, there's this one thing that just keeps tripping them up. Maybe you've been there yourself. So you're like, oh my God, like I'm going to give the gift that I wish someone gave me. (laughs) And so you think you're giving the gift, but there's a difference between like the gift that you would want to receive versus the gift that that person wants to receive. And sometimes we give the gift that we want to receive. We don't get the response. And now we think it's about us. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. Like we think now that, oh, now it reflect. Now we have two issues. We have the issue that they don't listen, mm-hmm. and now I'm not, I need to. I, I'm getting tired of being so magnanimous, and we're not being magnanimous because real compassion is real compassion is meeting someone where they are and getting them to the next step on their journey, not yours. Yeah. Real compassion is understanding what inspires that person. What moves them? What motivates them? And if it's not the same as me, that's okay. We were just talking about this, me and you. We both love Christmas. And my wife likes Christmas, but I'm obsessed. I love Christmas, right? And so I was like, this weekend, I was like, it's Thanksgiving. We're going to go buy a tree. We're going to go put it up. We're going to play Christmas music while we put it up. And she's like, sure, 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 sure. And I can't expect her to be as excited as me. I think that's unhealthy. Because can I be as excited about food as she is? I can't. I, I genuinely, I'm, I love her food. I'm excited about it. I can't be as excited as she is. Mm-hmm. We see our partners not being as excited as us as discredit to our likes and dislikes. Right? We that's see, so true. Right? We see mm-hmm. if they're not as excited mm-hmm. about Christmas as I am, then they don't love me enough. Right. But that's not or there's true. something wrong with me of something... how much I love this. Correct. Yeah. Or I'm wrong. Maybe I should like something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not cool enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe they like cooler stuff. And so we we make everything so much more different than what it truly is, which is just everyone has different likes and dislikes. Everyone has different values. And let's learn to love how much our partners love what they love mm-hmm. rather than force our partners to love what we love. I love that so much. And you, you bring up values a lot, which I love, yeah. right? It's so important. As we start to talk about this, though, like, for instance, when you identified that you didn't have the same values as she did... How do you make it work? Because I I think of values personally slightly differently. I think of values as being like the core of my being. Mm -hmm. Like the core of my being is I will do anything for my family. Mm -hmm. But I don't show up every day like I would do anything for my family. Now, if Tom is like, I would never fucking do that. Like, (laughs) why would you ever show up for your family? Like, I would burn my family to the ground for my business. Now, imagine I'm the opposite of values, right? Of <laughs> that's values. so tall. I love how you sound like him too. All the language. That's how well, but see, that's how well you know each other's values. Like you can literally say it in his words. Anyway, sorry, go. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. But in this situation yeah. where if I was to say, look, I'll burn the company down before I ever impact my relationship with my family. Yeah. If Tom was the opposite, now our values are directly conflicting with each other, right? Yeah. And so... But the truth is, is that both Tom and I, while we spend most of our time on the business, we have different interests in the business, but we do spend most of our time. At the end of the day, we would both burn the company down to the ground for the sake of our family. Um, So how do you start to differentiate between the value system of how you show up every day and make these decisions to the core values of your being? Because I believe you and Radian, I'll put it in my own words, not to throw words in your mouth, your base core foundation values is exactly the same meaning that she'd never ask you to not be yourself because she so appreciates and respects you that she understands your core values of your purpose 
is fundamentally who you are. Mm -hmm. And so she'd never ask you to go past that. I think you have the same respect with her. So even though yours is purposes and hers is family, the core of it is very aligned. Yeah, no, that's a great breakdown. And I I think that what you're saying with core values, because you and Tom are married and you have have multiple businesses Mm -hmm. together at this point, it's like that impacts a lot of life, right? Like you both are building the same thing and a part of a bigger thing. That's different when you're in business together because yes, you do need the same core value because you're building something and that. Mm. Whereas when you're building a marriage and and looking at values, yes, I would agree that me and Radhi do have the same core being values about each other. But I guess what I'm saying is I would never ask her to trade her family for pur- for my purpose. Right. And she'd never mm-hmm. ask me to trade my purpose for her family. We accept that we're both individuals who have certain things that are deeply important to us. And the more you get to do what's important to you, that fulfills you and fuels you but you're not gonna pull me away from what's Mm. important to me to make yourself feel better. Mm. You realize that I need that too, because what ends up happening is, let's say every time I had, and I'm using my example, but I mean, I'll take a client, like I had a client who was an athlete and he wanted his partner to be there at every game in the stands, cheering him on, right? He wanted her to be at every game, cheering him on in the stands, going, yeah, honey, like, come on, whatever. And like, after the game, like, bring the kids, (laughs) hug him. Like, that's what he wanted. Now, she was really successful in her own right and had her own business. She had to be on work trips. She had to be traveling on weekends. She couldn't be there every weekend. And he couldn't understand how anything was more important than her being at the game. He was just like, "How, how can you not? The game is the most important thing. Mm. And she was like, honey, I know the game's important. Whenever I'm in town, I'll be there. But I'm also building something that's Mm. important to me. So that's where I go. That's what I've seen break relationships apart, where it's like, you don't value my values as much as me. And no one can. Like, as much as she loves him and she loves the game, she can't say that game is more important Mm. than my business. That's not fair Mm -hmm. to her. And I've seen too many people put their values or purpose on the back burner for decades, only three decades later to say, I was so focused on helping you get to where you wanted, I didn't get to where I wanted. And when you're 50, 60 years old and feeling that way, I don't think there's anything more hurtful that you think the people that you love and the person that you love, they got everything they wanted out of life, but you didn't. And I think that's really hard. That's what I'm trying to speak yeah. to, if that makes sense. That was so powerful. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I've, I've been in that situation yeah. right, for eight years. I was yeah. supporting Tom. I let go of my own values, my own purpose. Like, um, and it wasn't until I realized, oh, I need to actually speak up. I need yeah. to say that I'm the one. Like, hey, I'm not happy here. Um, and I didn't do that. And so that was really, I think, a powerful part of what you just said. And then... The, the but fa- that's the bravery. In, oh, sorry, I don't no, want to cut no, you please. off. I was just saying, but that's your bravery, right? Like, and, I, and I said this to you on message yesterday when we were messaging about today. And I really mean this. And I said the same thing to Tom. Like, you guys are such an amazing couple. Mm-hmm. The way you share advice, I learn from you guys every day. Mm-hmm. I love your rules. I love your principles. I, I love everything you share about relationships. But you've also been through multiple relationship transitions. Mm-hmm. And what you just spoke about, it took bravery and self-awareness on your part to actually share it and twist the plot. It's a plot twist. Uh, uh, Tom thinks he's getting a housewife. 
the housewife goes and want to be an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's a plot twist. And yeah. it's like, oh, wow. And then it's beautiful that Tom was open to that transition going, well, if Lisa wants to be happy and this is going to make her happy, if I love her, I should support her. But I see that either happening too late mm. where someone sat in silence, like people sit in silence of what they want in a relationship for decades. And then when they finally raise their voice, their partner thinks, why didn't you tell me earlier? Mm. But then they think, well, why didn't you care about what I wanted either? Why was it always about you? And then it becomes so complicated. So the fact that you had the courage to do that after eight years is incredible. And the fact that Tom had the companionship to want to work with you on that, that's what a beautiful relationship is made of. But I find that that transition often doesn't go as healthily and smoothly because the person in Tom's position goes, but you committed to this. Right, you right. signed up mm-hmm. for this. You subscribed to this. Like, how are you copping out now? Oh, you're not the person I thought you were. Right. That was, thank you. That's yeah. very kind coming from you. And the one thing that I loved that you talk about, but I didn't have words to it, but you call it like your dharma. Yeah. And that when you have, um, that basically there's three relationships in your relationship and it all comes back to dharma. So explain that to me because like having a word to use was so powerful because I think that's what made me pivot, right? That's what exactly allowed me to go, oh, I don't want to live this life. This is a life that I now want and allow Tom to support me. Yeah, so Dharma is the, or Dharma is the Vedic word for purpose. And Dharma is made up of three key things. The first is your passions. The second is your strengths or expertise. And the third is service. It has to be used to serve other people. So when you know what you love and you know what you're good at, and then you use that to serve people or impact people, that's dharma. And what we find is that every relationship is made up of three relationships. The one you have with each other, but then there's two more. The one with you have with your purpose and the one they have with their purpose. And often what ends up happening is we make it all about this relationship with each other and we ignore our independent and collective purposes. And so I find that what you found in that scenario, taking your example, was you had this spark inside of you saying, I have a purpose too. I have a dharma too. I have something to offer the world. And I see that today when I was walking down here and I made a little video that I'm going to post, but I was looking at all your artwork And it's unbelievable, right? You come to this set and you see this show and you're like, look at what you've achieved. Like, look what you've built. And you've constantly made strides to move closer to your dharma. It didn't happen in one go. It wasn't just like, oh, one day, oh, honey, I'm not a housewife anymore. I'm just going to go out there. It was, no, I'm I'm doing this. Oh, now I get this inkling that I should be in front of camera too. Like, I want to interview people too. I I have a message. Yes. Oh, you know what? I used to love art at school and my teachers used to always tell me that I couldn't draw and paint. But... I really feel inspired. I'm going to give myself permission. And then you create all this. Like, so that's the journey that I'm encouraging people to go on. And voice that to your partner. Explain it to them. Don't just do it in a silo. What we often feel about our partners is if they don't ask, they don't care. <laughs> if they're not asking me about my purpose or my dharma or my passions, they don't care. Chances are your partner doesn't have the vocabulary either. Chances are they don't know that. And so involve them in that conversation. Say to them, hey, you know what? I've really been struggling with like finding meaning in life at the moment. And I'm just trying to find what I want to do in the world and what I want to give to the world and open up that dialogue. I think the problem is most of our conversations about our partners 
happen with other people. Right? <laughs> right? So we talk about our partners to our mums, <laughs> our dads, our sisters, our friends, our brothers, everyone, but we don't talk about it with them. And and it's really strange to me that literally for years you can go years and years and years talking about your partner to everyone else in your life but them. Talk to them. I, I sit down with so many people who tell me their challenge. I'll be like, can you say that to your partner just like you said it to me? Because when you said it to me, it was really calm. It was perfect. But when you say it to them, it's an accusation. When you say it to them, it's pointing fingers. So please go and say it to them in this way because I, I promise you, if if you can sit down and help your partner out with what you're thinking and what you're feeling, they have a better opportunity of being there for you. And the reason why I'm giving the responsibility to you, to this person, is because the more you sit there expecting someone to understand you, you're taking away time from you expressing what you're going through. Mm. You expressing what you're going through is going to lead to a healthy relationship. You expecting the other person to understand you without your expression, you'll be waiting for your entire lifetime. That, that is so strong because a lot of us don't want to feel needy, right? It's like, yes, why do I want to tell yes, him what I need? Yes. Because now I'm going to be that woman that's feeling really needy. So this was me and Tom, right? So yeah. I was like, oh, I can't tell him what I want. Like, yeah. I'll just hint to him. And then in the hint, when he wouldn't <laughs> get the it. hint, it was like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't even listen. He doesn't even yeah. pay attention. And I've told this story. I think I've told you, but stop me if I have already. But no, this, came to, this came to fruition in this one instance when Tom and I very first met, it was Christmas time. And I was hinting to him, Jay, that I wanted a watch. Because <laughs> I can tell him, right? It was like, I can't ask for a watch. Like, that's extravagant. So I was hinting, I was hinting. Months go by. I told him that I'm hinting. He's like, I've nailed it. I know exactly what you want. So Christmas Day comes <laughs> and we were split. We were apart. He was in America and I was in England. And I opened it up expecting to see a watch. And it was teeth whitening strips. <laughs> wow, that is so teeth bad. Teeth whitening that strips. That is so bad. You can, how far how, off the yeah, poor man went? Not just that. That's also a bad <laughs> gift to give to It's like, how often did I complain yeah, about the whiteness yeah. of my what, teeth? Do you think my teeth are not white enough? <laughs> like, yeah, it's terrible. Tom. And in yeah. that moment, I realized he was so excited because he thought he nailed it. Yeah. So leading up to me opening the gift, he was like, I can't wait. I've got it. I've nailed it. So when it was so wrong, yeah. I just had to laugh. And then when I told him the story, it broke his heart at yeah. first. And I was like, oh my God, I find this so funny. And he's like, I thought I nailed it. Yeah. And seeing that I disappointed him because I wasn't just saying what I actually wanted was a very early lesson for us that people aren't mind readers. You've got to t- set your partner up for success. If you really That's believe they want to deliver for you, yeah. then you not telling them is actually doing them a disservice. I love that. I love that. And I love that story too. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Me and Riley have a gift story similar to that. But she wasn't, well, yeah, I, I probably reacted like not as well as you did. Did <laughs> but, you? Yeah, so t- do you know this story? No, I told you. Uh, so, so it was Christmas as well. Or maybe it was, my, I think it was Christmas or my birthday. I'm trying to remember. It was early on. And um, I'd dropped a lot of hints too as to me wanting a white iPad mini. Like I wanted one of those small iPad minis. I was very clear about wanting to be white, very clear about the iPad, very clear about the mini. This is like, you know, 10 years ago now. Uh, and I'm, I'm asking for this gift and, and hinting again. I'm not being over, I'm hinting. Christmas Day comes or my birthday comes, can't remember which one. It's all wrapped up beautifully and all the rest of it. And, and it's, the, it's the exact size. I'm so excited. I'll open it up. 
It's an ASUS. A what? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to ASUS the brand. But I was like, it's an ASUS. So ASUS makes tablets. And I'm sure they're wonderful oh. tablets. Like, I'm sure they're wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm no, no offense sure. to an ASUS. I have never used one, but no offense. I wanted a white. And so I looked at her and she was like, mm. is everything okay? And I was like, you, you were kind of there. Like she was closer yeah. than Tom. But, but I was like, like, what made you get this? And she was like, oh, you know, what? I was talking to my family and they told me you could get a really good deal. And this was like the best value for money. And like, this was like a really smart one to get because it's like the most amount of this for this. And I was like, oh, interesting. And it really hit me that like, Riley had tried her best. She was about to buy an iPad. She spoke to someone who had a different set of values. She spoke to someone who had a different insight on what was important. For them, important was saving money, buying something that had the right thing. And obviously everyone who's watching this in the comments is going to be like, yeah, Apple's not great for tech, <laughs> right? All the people who don't think Apple's great tech. And I agree with all of that. I love the user experience. I'm basic. I'm yeah. basic. I want the user experience and you have your preference. And what I realized was she tried her best, but it's like, that's when, what happens when you listen to other people instead mm -hmm. of listening to your partner. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do a lot of. We listen to other people in our relationships. And I used to do the opposite. So by the way, I made mistakes too. With Ravi, whenever she'd said she'd like something, I wanted to be Superman. So I'd buy it immediately and she'd have it the next day. And she'd look at it and be like, oh no, I was just thinking about it. Like, I don't even want it. I was just thinking it might be useful. And then she wouldn't use it. And I'd be like, that's terrible. Like, I just get a gift. I got it for you fast. And again, it's like, we're not listening. I'm not really listening. I just want to be Superman. Mm -hmm. I just want to be seen as like the all provider and can do anything. And now I feel sad because I didn't listen to you. And so I, I would encourage people to speak more to your partner about your partnership. Listen more to your partner about your partnership. Mm -hmm. Of course, take advice and guidance, but, but don't stop talking to each other. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. If you're fed up of people constantly pushing you around, ignoring your boundaries and just disrespecting you left, right and centre, then it's time to finally stop letting people walk all over you and start actually standing up for yourself, my homie. Because trust me, I've been there staying silent and living a life I never actually wanted for myself, but lacked the confidence to do anything about it. But I was able to go from someone who settled and lacked all the confidence in herself to someone who comfortably commands respect and guys and my homie even with the fears the doubts and uncertainty you can finally go after what you freaking want in life set boundaries speak up show up fight imposter syndrome and stop people pleasing and i break down how to actually do this step by step in my book radical confidence and when you pre-order your copy of radical confidence right now today guys you can get a free gift valued at 171 dollars, which includes my ultimate guide to radical confidence which is a workbook that you actually can work through as you're reading my book three months ad-free listening to women of impact on podcast and one hour exclusive relationship coaching sessions 
conversations with me and my hubby of 21 years, Tom. So, my homie, if you go and pre-order this book right now, you get all of those things for utterly free, which has been valued at $171. So go over to RadicalConfidence.com to pre-order your copy right now. That's RadicalConfidence.com. See you there, my homie. Let's freaking go. Because in those moments, you almost both feel badly, right? Yeah. You feel like, oh God, I'm not Superman. Like, this is something that I value in myself. Exactly. To be there for my wife. And yeah. now, Rathi, though, doesn't feel heard. Like, it's almost like, exactly. well, just because I said it, like, that isn't, right? Like, or the fix it thing where it's like, oh my God, I really want to get it. She's like, well, don't you know me? I'm just thinking through it. Yeah. And now she feels like, you don't even know me. You think that I just want to run, you to run out and get it. And now you're both missing that beat. Exactly. And as we start to talk through, right, you've met someone, you found someone in your life. As we start to talk through these struggle moments, these are the moments that the small things can start to stack. Yeah. So if you don't mind talking about the big key items that actually get us into danger in our relation but also these small little things where you don't feel heard you don't feel like you're giving a chance and now over time you put these big things with these day-to-day things and now you blink and you wonder what happened to your relationship yeah absolutely i think you have to think about this especially when you're building a home with someone you have to think about a crack in your floors or a crack in the wall Mm. at start it's just a little crack or maybe it's not even a crack, it's just a scratch, mm. right? It's just a scratch. And you're like, oh, it's just a scratch, it's okay, you can't see it, you just cover it with the couch, right? That's like a scratch in your relationship. There's something about your partner you're not fully comfortable with, but it's okay, it's fine, you can look over it, it's, it's, uh, it's tolerable. Mm. All of a sudden, that scratch turns into a little crack. Now it annoys you. Every time you see it in your living room, you're like, oh God, I wish that wasn't there. All right, but I can still cover it up. We do that in our relationship. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not important. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to worry about it. It's all good. The thing is, as time goes on, all of these cracks get bigger. Now that crack's like going up the wall or going down the floor. And now you're looking at it going, that needs to get changed. And by then, you're thinking about changing it. Now, when you apply that to a partner, it's like, am I with the right person? Right? You're asking different questions. And the problem is you're waiting to ask an extreme question before solving a small problem. And if you just dealt with it when it was there, where it was, it would be so much healthier. And I think we're scared, like you said, because we don't want to be needy. We don't want to come across as demanding. And we don't want to come across as someone who always needs something fixed. (laughs) All, All healthy things. But I think there's a way of talking about these things that we often underestimate. So if I'm going to bring up something like this to Radhi, first thing I'd say is, hey, I noticed this is going on. Is there something you're struggling with to, to make this right? Or, or what, what are you going through that it's this way? So I'm trying to understand, saying I've noticed something, but I'm not placing my assumption on it. I'm not saying I noticed this and I feel like you don't care about me. Let me take a beat and say, I noticed this. What's going on? And she may say to me, Jay, I've just had so much on this week. been really stressed out. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. I, I just had a lot on, right? Or she may say, oh, I didn't realize that was important to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know. Like, it wasn't even like I was trying to make it, but I just didn't realize that was important to you. I'm, yeah. I, I didn't know. Whereas when you walk in there and you're already assuming and you're ac- accusing someone and you go, yeah, you, you know, you just always never do the dishes. You never do this. You never do that. You never finish this. That person doesn't get a chance to have a conversation with you. Now they go into defense mode. And so what I find is that accusing your partner feels like an attack. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't create an opportunity to connect. It creates an opportunity for them to defend. 
Now you're in attack and defense mode instead of in connection mode. And that's all created because of how you phrased what you noticed. <laughs> like literally, the t- and so the tiny things are tiny, but the tiniest thing is how you say something to your partner. I promise you, you could give feedback to your partner and it could transform your lives, or you could say something to your partner and it would force them to feel like you don't like them or care about them, just in how you said it. Oh my God, I love that. And you talk about how we don't talk about conflict enough. Yeah. Like we don't talk about how to handle conflict. And it was, it really hit me, like it struck me like a, a you know ton of bricks. I love being like stopped in my tracks. When you were like, we all talk about love languages, but none of us talk about conflict languages. Yes, and yes. I was like, Jay, yes. <laughs> like talk to me about how we, our conflict language and yeah. how we approach this. Dude, it's fucking genius. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I spent a lot of time, I love Gary Chapman's love languages. I recommend every couple does it. It's fantastic. But when I looked at the Gottman Institute research, John and Julie Gottman, who I've interviewed a bunch of times, they talk about how we need skills in relationships. And the number one skill we need is learning how to fight, learning how to argue. Now, I'm not saying that you should be having full-blown arguments where you're swearing at each other and cussing each other out and then afterwards being like, we love each other. But you are going to disagree You are going to debate and you are going to argue in any relationship. It is unlikely for there to not be that. So why not be prepared? Mm -hmm. So I thought about this a lot and I really thought about it with me and Radhi and I realized that just as we have love languages, we have fight styles. And so just imagine this for a second. You fight MMA, but your partner's a kickboxer. Right. It's not working. You can't mix those styles as much because that person's not being able to fight on the same playing field. There are three fight styles that I discovered. The first fight style is venting. A venter is, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it now. We have to solve it now. I'm a classic venter, <laughs> right? You were, I'm a classic venter. And then the second fight style is hiding. Hiding is, I want to go into a little room. I want to be on my own and I want to figure it out by myself and I don't know when I'm coming out. There's a lot of people who like to hide. Mm-hmm. And the third one is exploding, where it's like everything becomes bigger, where it's like, God, you always do this. It never goes right. I'm, I'm feeling so much pain. Like you just, every, you, all your emotions just explode. So you're not trying to, you're not feeling like you need to talk about it now. You're not running away. It's just exploding. None of these are good or bad or wrong or right. No one should feel less than because we deal with it a certain way. We deal with it the way our parents dealt with it. We deal with it the way our parents didn't fulfill in us or people in our life didn't fulfill in us. It comes from our trauma. So for me, I'm a fixer. I want to solve it now. Radhi's a hider. When I first shared with Radhi that I got that new job offer to move to New York, this was six years ago, seven years ago, Radhi didn't talk to me for two days because she was so scared that she'd have to leave her family. And this was one of the biggest transitions we went through in our, in our lives. But because I knew family was her priority, I was already aware this was going to be tough for her. I knew she would need space. Her way of telling me we could move to New York two days later was she bought New York bedsheets and she put them on the bed. And I was like, does that mean New York's here? Or does that mean we can go? <laughs> yeah. and I was like, like, sorry, we're not was, going to yeah, New York, but New York, I bought it here. Yeah, right here. I was like, which one is it? Anyway, we moved to New York and now we live in LA. But the point I'm making is that for years, me and Radhi argued because she wanted to hide and think about things and I wanted to talk about it. And for me, anytime she wanted to hide, the voice in my head said, she doesn't care about you. She doesn't care about this relationship. You value this relationship more. 
she needed space because she was like, I value this relationship. I love you. I need to think about this. She was like, I don't need, I don't want to say some things I don't need. I don't want to say something hurtful. So I need to decompress. Without knowing our fight styles, we both walk away feeling like the other person doesn't care when actually their style shows they care in their language. So then we realized Radhi needed two days. I wanted to talk about it now. We found a happy medium when we meet to talk about an argument for us after four hours to 12 hours. That's our, our gap that we give each other. For us, now that for you, that may be one day. For you, it may be one hour. Yeah. We found that our sweet spot was that. I didn't want to wait longer than four to 12 hours to talk about a fight. And she didn't want to wait any less than because she needed it. And is that how you came to that conclusion where you both sat down? She said, look, this is what I need. You said, okay, this is what I need. You um, maybe vocalized that two, hours, two days was too long for correct, you. Correct, correct. Okay, that's... Yeah, exactly. Like, like a compromise. Yeah, and it is. And, and what I see is like healthy game planning. Right. right? It's like <laughs> saying like, we know we're going to argue next time. And when we have a disagreement or we're coming home from a family event, we both have a fight about something ridiculous. I don't want to wait two days to talk about it. And she's like, but I need four to 12 hours to talk about it and to think about it. I'm like, that's cool. So you're creating a healthy standard for you that you're both aware of. Now I'm not anxious going, oh my God, when are we going to talk about it? And she's not anxious going, oh my God, I'm going to get rushed into a conversation. (laughs) And I find like these simple things break relationships because we don't create strategies and skills around our feelings. And I think the other issue is you just said a word and it really hit me. We often tell our partners what we need, but we don't tell them enough why we need it. Mm. And I cannot emphasize the why more importantly. I can say to Radhi, hey, Radhi, you know what? I need this weekend to myself. Or I want to spend this weekend with the guys. Guess what? If you leave that sentence incomplete without the why, your partner could well off think they don't want to spend time with me. They don't enjoy spending time with me. They choose those friends over me. Mm-hmm. That could be the voice in their head. Even if they're secure, even if they love you, even if you have a great relationship, if you explain what you need, you're letting your partner autofill why you need it. Whereas when you say, you know what? I haven't seen one of my best friends for like a month. I just want to hang out with him. So I'm going to take our evening. I know it's our only free evening this week, but do you mind if I just spend time with him? I often say to Radhi, Radhi, you know what? I'm going into interview mode. For the next few weeks, I'm, I'm going on so many podcasts, I'm going to so many events, I want to be prepared, I want to be organized. I'm going to be less present unless you really want me to be and tell me you want me to be present. But just so you know, I'm going to be on my phone, I'm going to be doing this. Now that she knows that, she knows if she needs my attention, she can say, hey, I want you to be present. But she also is not mad at me for being on my phone. But when you don't say that and you just do it and you go, well, you should know how hard I'm working. You should know how much I've got going on. It's like, can you expect that person to know? So I feel these little things create big issues in relationships. And I just wish, you know, the book gives tools and questions and ways to start conversations to help you have healthier conversations. Dude, that was so good. I love that you warned her even about the phases that you're going into. Like that's so amazing so that she doesn't start, especially if it's a phase that becomes, you know, I'm sure for you, it's like months and months of this book launch, right? So kind of going into it going, okay, it's not just going to be one week. And if I say to, hey, look, for this week, I'm just not going to be available. And then the next week you say again, the next week you say again, now she's like, hang on a minute. 
am I just chump change, right? Exactly. But being able to say for the next two months, babe, this is what I'm focused on. But if you need me, I'll show up. But I'm not necessarily going to appear out of my own fruition. Correct. And this is what I'm going to need. Like, I, I, you may find that I'm a bit more stressed. I'm oh, a bit more snappy. Yeah. I'm a bit like, and that's all self-awareness, right? But we're scared of saying that because we want to be perfect mm -hmm. all the time. And we want our partner to be perfect. And I'm not scared to say to Riley, like, hey, I'm going to be a bit more like, you know, on edge. I'm going to be a bit more like, not like in a, in a crazy way, but like, you know, I may be a bit more stressed this week. I may be a bit more overworked this mm -hmm. week. I may be coming home and not want to talk about my day because I'm really tired, right? These are all healthy conversations. Or saying to your partner, like, I've got a really big thing on Tuesday and I'm preparing for it. So Monday night, I'm, you know, and so I please communicate your why to your partner, not just the what, because chances are you're losing everything in translation because your partner can connect with your why even if they can't connect with your what. Right. If I say I need time to myself, someone may not understand that. But if I say I need time to myself because I'm tired, someone can accept that and understand mm -hmm. that. And so give your, again, what you just said, set your partner up for success with you. Don't wait for them to fail. Yeah. Um, all right, so yeah. I love this, and I, we definitely got to talk about that last okay. piece. A quote of yours that I freaking love is, love doesn't disintegrate overnight. Mm. Dude, again, that really hit me, because the amount of people are just like, I blinked, and like our relationship yeah. fell apart. That freaking winds me up, yeah. because you never just blink, ever. And so when I go, what is it that people are, aren't addressing where they feel like they've blinked and now sitting in front of them, the person they used to love is no longer the person they even feel like they know. Yeah. I think the challenge is we think we fall in love overnight and that's why we think no. we fall out of love overnight, right? We want to find that moment that we fell in love. Oh. That was it. Our wedding day, our engagement day, our whatever it was, the day we had this day and we're like, we fell in love. And that's why we assume, oh, you can fall out of love in a day. And the truth is we know that both of those are untrue because there were many days, many weeks, many months and many years that led to the day you said, you're not right for me anymore, right? There were so many. It wasn't one moment. It wasn't one argument. There were hundreds of moments. There were tens of arguments that led to that one day that you told someone, I don't think we're right for each other anymore. I love your question because I think it's so important to address that love doesn't disintegrate overnight. And what I find is that we're holding on to a particular picture of love. We have an image of what love is and we don't have an image of what it could be or how it grows. We don't want things. We, if you think about how we think about things, we're like, let's go back to the place we first went on a date. Mm. There's something nostalgic about that, but there's something limiting about that too. We always want to go backwards. Our wedding day was the happiest day we had. Oh. We're not open to the fact that doing new things together, changing, growing. What I love about something that you and Tom do, you have your tradition of where Tom flips you down, like holds you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah but you do it in lots of different places. Mm. You're not limiting it to, we can only do it in the place we met because that's what it symbolizes. Mm. So I think a lot of couples are trying to have the same love instead of a new love. So there's two types of relationships. One is what I call an old love that becomes old. You've been in love with this person for a long time, but you got bored of each other. 
it got old. Mm. It, doesn't, it didn't feel new. Then you have an old relationship like yours and Tom's, 20 plus years, but you keep finding new things about each other. It keeps it fresh. So those are the two options we have. You either live in a world where you've been with someone for a long time and it got old, old, old. Mm. Or you live in a relationship where even though I've been with someone for a long time, I'm always discovering new things about them. I'm always wanting to grow. And I think that's where love disintegrates is when we say our wedding day was love. Now what? That moment was love. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. And then all of a sudden now I'm dealing with the leftovers. Um, and I share four E's in the book for growing intimacy in a relationship. And this is how your intimacy has to change. So the base level of spending time with someone is doing entertainment together. Far too many couples, the only time they spend together is watching a show. Mm. That is a very low vibration of intimacy. Why? It's a very low shared experience. When you watch a show together, it's not deeply meaningful. And your response to it is not deeply meaningful. You watch it, you say, oh, that was a good episode. <laughs> yeah, great. All right, let's go sleep, right? And that's what we connected on that day. We connected on something shallow mm. in a shallow way. How does that create depth and intimacy? I'm not saying don't go to the movies. I go to the movies with Radhi. I, I do a lot of entertaining things, but that can't be your only form of mm -hmm. connection. Like, well, we spend two hours together every night. Well, no, you don't. You watch two hours of TV together every night. Intimacy dips as the vibration dips. The vibration of connecting over entertainment is so futile that it does not create a deep relationship. Mm -hmm. Better than entertainment is experiments and experiences together. Let's go experiment. Let's go try pottery. We've never done that before. The definition, uh, let's go try archery. We've never done that before. Uh, let's go, um, I don't know, to a VR room or an escape room. Let's go do something we've never done before. What this does is it puts you on an equal playing field. Most of the time what happens in our relationship is we do something our partners knows more about, mm. so they're teaching us, or we do something we know more about, so we're teaching them. I.e. if me and Riley are in the kitchen and she's teaching me about herbs, I know nothing, she's the expert. If, I don't know what I know more than Riley, but if I'm doing something else, I'm teaching her, right? And what ends up happening in that is we're not having a shared experience. Mm. Because one person, is the expert, one person's the student. There's no shared experience there. One person's teaching, the other person's learning. So when you go and do something that neither of you are good at, you're on a level playing field. Now you're truly having a shared experience. I remember this the first time me and Radhi went snorkeling, the first time we went um, paddle boarding, the first time we went surfing together. We'd never done any of these things independently. And when we did these things and we tried these new things out, you learn new things about your partner. That's so is it the fact that you're also struggling together? Correct. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're both going into beginner mode together. Right. When now all your flaws come out, your good things come out, your quirks come out. Like more of you is exposed in a healthy mm -hmm. way. So that creates intimacy yeah. and newness. Even not even it's not about more, but another deeper way of deepening intimacy is getting educated together. When you go and learn together, mm. maybe you go to therapy, maybe you go to coaching, maybe you go and do a course together. Maybe you're both learning from experts and masters and teachers together. When you're learning together and then you reflect, it's so powerful. I know you and Tom know all about that. Like when you feel you've been in a room and you've both learned something or you've come out of a podcast and then I know you, when, you, when you're reviewing the podcast, you're both listening yeah, to the same yeah, podcast. Yeah. I can only imagine the conversations you have. Mm -hmm. And then higher than that, or a deeper way than that is engagement. And what engagement is when you go and serve together, when you go create an impact together. Yeah. Maybe go help out a soup kitchen. 
maybe go feed the homeless, maybe you go and take care of animals, whatever it may be. Like when you go and serve together, when you go into the trenches together, when you go and struggle together, that builds intimacy. The problem is as relationships get longer, we do less and less of all of these things. We hang on to entertainment and then we wonder how the love disintegrated. Yeah, God, that is so freaking beautiful. And being able to understand ahead of time um, can, like, I think, save a lot of relationships. But even if you find yourself in the moment where maybe your relationship, you're not feeling like you were really connected, I think so many of the things that you've just broken down, it's never too late. Like, So where do you think at the point of, is there like, okay, now I should be splitting and finding somebody new because I'm not right in this relationship or they're not right for me. Where yeah. is that fine line? It's a big question. We spend a bunch of chapters in the book like really going through this because I don't think it should be a flippant decision. It shouldn't be an opinion. It shouldn't be a quick thing. There's a lot to value. One of the things I encourage all couples to do is expand their scorecard. So I think we score keep a lot with our partners. We score keep like, oh, I always say sorry in an argument first. Mm -hmm. One nil to me. Um, oh, I always uh, think about the weekend and plan events, two nil to me. Like we're constantly thinking like one up on the partner. And I often ask people to zoom out and do an activity which is a five level scorecard. So write down the words physical, mental, emotional, financial and spiritual. And then write next to it the name of the partner you think leads on that area. So when I think of physical, I'm talking about physical groceries, I'm talking about physical things around the home, cleanliness, keeping the home a nice space, uh, creating a nice environment, right? That's physical. Mental is like who's leading the organizing, the trips, the planning of the house. Emotional, who's leading emotionally and intimately? Who's leading financially? And then who's leading spiritually, energetically? When people zoom out and judge their scorecard this way, more often than not, people find they're a lot more equal. But when you zoom into your little area of what you think you do more, it's really easy for you to be like, well, I'm the breadwinner. Mm. I, I'm doing more for this relationship. But when you zoom out and you look at a relationship, you go, oh, oh, they're actually doing a lot more than I thought. And I think you have to do that activity. And if you find that there's still a massive discrepancy, that's when you're having the leaving conversation. Yeah. But if you do that activity and you go, they do more than I even thank them for. And I realize, mm. I feel like that. I do that rather often, with rather often. And I find every time I do that, I'm actually not smart enough to notice the good she brings to a relationship because sometimes it's more intangible. But the intangible stuff is really powerful and it's so underestimated. We, we estimate the tangible stuff as being the real success. Mm. But someone who emotionally regulates a relationship, someone who mentally regulates a relationship is so powerful. I actually love that you said that because someone being um, identified as the lead of taking that is important because I think so many people come to it it's like, well, what are you doing? Totally. What are you doing emotionally? Well, you know, like I've done this. And so actually saying, actually, one of us is better at it. And then Tom and I have had that discussion. Yes. I'm way better at it than he is. <laughs> way, he could go months and then he'd be like, oh, shit. I feel really weird because I haven't connected with my wife. Yeah. Right? Whereas <laughs> I will see it in week two and I'll be like, oh, babe, we're yeah, getting yeah. dangerous here in another two weeks. That's when you're going to feel it. Yeah. And because we've identified it, I now don't feel bad or neglected yes, about the fact yes, that yes, yes. it's like the poor guy it's just not his expertise <laughs> like instead of judging him for it we yeah. just accept it jay Love this it. has been so Thank amazing you. where can people find your amazing book uh eight rules of love.com is the place to find the book so eight rules of love the name of the book.com you'll see this big red l-o-v-e so sign i wanted to spread love across the world so i'm hoping everyone will see this book everywhere 
Uh, and of course, uh, on my social media channels, Instagram uh, at Jay Shetty and TikTok at Jay Shetty are the best places right now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.